Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles and join me in turning to Proverbs 23 this morning. Proverbs chapter number 23. And uh, while you're turning, uh, there's a young man uh, who has asked me to help him find somebody to go with him to the banquet. And so I have lended my aid to him. And so this morning I'd like to take care of that before the message. I'm totally kidding about that. <laughs> do you, you realize there are some of you young ladies, you're like, really, who would do that? And some of you guys were like, that's not me, is it? That's not me. <laughs> uh, the time of the banquet is where uh, I think some young ladies feel like they're going to die an old maid and some men feel like they're going to die as a hermit and strange things happen. So, but anyway... Uh, sign up for the banquet. It'll be a good time. It'll be a fun time. I'm excited about the concert uh, that's to take place afterwards. Uh, the Lord's blessed us with an individual who's not only very talented, but uh, just very witty, and uh, just he'll be a blessing. And so we'll have a great time, great meal, and a great time fellowship, and then we'll send the dating couples back to the dorms to do nothing the rest of the evening, right? So maybe I've been trying to think of maybe something if couples would want to want to do. I've not really had enough time to think about it this week, but maybe we'll have, of course, some of you are like, just leave us alone. We just want to go to the commons and stare in each other's faces for two hours. All right, well, that's good. So uh, you're welcome to do that. And uh, a lot of sickness going around, uh, I know. Uh, It's good to see some people back and um, it's not good to see some people gone, but anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's just having to run its uh, cycle, and uh, it's just that time of year. In the month of December, I was in a number of churches that uh, had sickness just ravaging it. I mean, all the way through December. Uh, it's interesting enough, the strong, most strongly attended service was the Christmas Eve service that I preached in uh, Fletcher, North Carolina. It was, I was like, nobody's sick here. But everywhere else, uh, there was a lot of sickness that was traveling around. So take care of yourself. Wash your hands. All right. You'll be amazed. That goes a long ways to help you from uh, picking up something and uh, just get the rest that you need and try to stay on the horse. Sometimes you just got to keep riding even though you don't feel like it. And uh, this is a season that some of you are going to have to do that and uh, battle through it. Proverbs chapter 23 this morning, I want to speak on a very controversial subject. And I've just gotten so tired of hearing voices that I disagree with that I decided to lend my own voice to it. And this morning I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, The Devil of Beverage Alcohol. That's a very strategic title. And so, if you would this morning, just permit me, I've written my thoughts down here a little bit to make sure that I don't mess anything up, but, you know, the subject of alcohol and social drinking is a lot more controversial in Christian circles than it should be. Just as social drinking has become more acceptable in the world, it's sadly become more acceptable in the church. And I think it's high time for Christians to pay attention to the overwhelmingly negative warnings about beverage alcohol. Now, in just a few moments, you're going to hear me speak somewhat from my experience, and I'll say more about that in a second. But I feel like sometimes those who have been raised in Christian homes and sheltered 
from those evils are far too naive about how addictive and how brutal it is. And I'm not here today to advocate you to go out into the world and experience it and come back broken. I am here to encourage you to stay away from it. Now, by way of introduction, I want to share with you how alcohol has ravaged my family. And I want to tell you this, if you hear any hint of anger in my voice, it is not at my family member, but it's at the devil and booze. I love my family. And I would give you the shirt off my, I would give them the shirt off my back. But I detest how booze has destroyed so many in my family. Now I share with you personal experiences uh, on this subject, not because my experience is the authority. My experience is not the authority. But I will tell you this, my experience in it is the fulfillment of Bible warnings about alcohol. I was raised in a family where alcohol had a regular presence. My, father, my grandfather was known to be a very harsh and ornery man, and many people traced uh, his behavior to his drinking. He passed away when I was just a youngster in elementary school. Uh, you want to know how entrenched uh, it was? I'd heard my dad tell stories about moonshining. Uh, my dad tells stories about a still, and it was several years ago, my cousin and I, we went to the old home place, what was left of it, and we pillaged it, and we found copper still parts in the attic of the old home place. And I let him take them home. <laughs> but those old parts were just relics of the prominence of alcohol in my family. My dad died a premature death because of alcohol consumption. When I was in high school, he started retaining fluid was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, and he was lectured by the doctor, if you don't stop drinking, you'll die. He stopped for six months, resumed drinking, and he died at the age of 57. I had a cousin by marriage who took his life after a struggle with alcohol. It was the first funeral that I ever preached because of suicide. When I received the call that he had passed, I went up to visit with the family and I learned of the sad circumstances behind it and I wept. It was after a period of being sober that one night he splurged when his family was out of town. And because of the immense guilt that he felt, he took his life. Before preaching his funeral, I read a paper that he had written that detailed his struggle with alcohol and how he had become sober and how he hoped to remain so the rest of his life. I lost a loved one who was very dear to me because of liver cancer that was hastened by alcohol. Another had a liver transplant because of the onset of cirrhosis caused by alcohol and I'm going to stop there because the list could go on. And so in light of what I've read in the Bible and in light of what I've experienced in my family, listen to me, I have made up my mind to ignore those Christians who crusade for social drinking and listen to the Bible instead. 
Proverbs 20, verse number 1, the Bible says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And now for the rest of my message, I want to preach to you from Proverbs chapter 23. And I want to begin reading in verse number 29. The Bible says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou when the wine upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Thou shalt be as that lieth as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say. And I was not sick, they have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. And this morning we hear from the lips of Solomon the the devastation that is brought by beverage alcohol. So for the rest of my message, I want to share for you why wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging based on what I read from Proverbs 23. Number one, I want you to see first of all that beverage... I want you to see the pain of this passage. The very first verse that we read is a series of questions. It's an interrogation. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? And who hath redness of eyes? There's not a sane person in this room that would wish to be in that condition. How does one get there? I want you to notice the different aspects. It talks about about woe and about sorrow. I want to tell you, young people, if there's anything that will bring sorrow into a home, it's booze. The kind of sorrow that was brought into my home when you come home repeatedly after your parents are arguing and on certain occasions your dad threatens to leave and there's there's weeping until there's no more tears. Let me tell you what brings that in part, booze. There'd be times, there'd be fights that would erupt and tears would flow. Sometimes my grandmother would say to me things like this, that's not your daddy talking, that's the booze talking. Trying to comfort a young man whose heart's broken. Solomon was right. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? And then it talks about contention. When you think about the connection between alcoholism and domestic abuse, listen, the statistics are deadening. 
Now, I'm not here to give you statistics today. That may be for another time. But I'm going to tell you, listen, you talk to people in law enforcement and you talk about holidays and they talk about a rise in domestic abuse. I'm telling you, it's not celebrating the birth of Jesus that facilitates domestic abuse. It's the, it's the alcohol and the, and the drug abuse that takes place that facilitates so much of it. You want to talk about fighting? You put booze in a home and you're going to introduce contention. I can still remember when I was probably about eight years old, my mom and dad had gotten into it and they both came into the living room and I shoved my eight-year-old body. My dad was about to hit my mom and I looked at him as a child and I said, if you hit her, you'll have to hit me first. What am I telling you? I'm telling you it will cause contention. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? It's the idea of talking out of your head. It's the idea of talking without sense. I still remember as a kid, an encyclopedia salesman came by our house. During that time, people would, a lot of door-to-door salesmen and encyclopedias. I know some of you think Wikipedia is the ultimate encyclopedia. If you think Wikipedia is the ultimate encyclopedia, talk to Trey Manns. Trey can tell you about the accuracy of Wikipedia. And he can tell you how you can use it to your advantage. But there used to be a time that instead of going to Wikipedia that was probably edited by a bunch of college students, you'd have something called the Encyclopedia Britannica. And you would go and you would have this set of books in the library. I know they're relics now, but uh, there actually was printed factual material in libraries. And uh, this encyclopedia salesman came by the house to uh, try to sell my dad for my benefit as a child a set of encyclopedias. And once that spill was done, um, the encyclopedia salesman asked my dad, he said, how much would you, he said, would you like to buy this for your son? My dad said, how much is it? And the man either remarked $13.50 or $14.50. And just as a child, I knew it was over a thousand bucks. And I watched my dad pull out a checkbook that day and he wrote out a check to that man and he handed it to him and the man was in disbelief when he saw it. You know why? Because my dad had written him a check for either $13 or $14.50. Now the reason I tell you that story is because booze had reduced my dad to such a point that an elementary school child had more discernment than he did. And it caused him to speak in ways that sometimes were unintelligible or sometimes made no sense. Now, I don't tell you that with any bit of harshness towards my dad. I want you to know something, that there's not an ounce of misgiving or bitterness in my heart because I realize that God allowed me to go through certain things to shape me, maybe to deliver messages like this. Babylon. Wounds without cause. Physical injury, the redness of eyes, the loss of sleep. Listen, if that's the way you want to conduct your life, then just play with beverage alcohol. But the Bible tells us all of this pain, why in the world do we want to indulge in something that can either cause us pain or encourage others to to have it? 
You can say whatever you want, but I'm telling you, the Bible's very clear. Listen, you get booze into a household, what do you find? You find there's pain. But not only do you see pain, the second thing that I want you to see is I want you to see the people. They that tarry long at the wine, verse 30, they that go to seek mixed wine. The Bible talks about tarrying long at the wine. I believe that's a phrase that refers to addiction. Listen to me, alcohol is addictive. There are people that are closer than you think to in your life, that, that you, closer to you than you think, that may be struggling with it. They may be secretly addicted to it. Listen to me, there have been people in Bible colleges who had struggled with addiction to alcohol and they would try to suppress it. And because they refused to get help, their life has gone up in flames. It is addictive. You know, I remember sitting my boys down when they were teenagers, and I taught them about something that I think is very, very addictive as well today. It's just as addictive as any drug. It's called pornography. I said, listen to me, that kind of thing is so addictive. I have seen it ravage. I have seen it ravage people. I have seen people's lives destroyed. Listen to me, if you ever get in proximity of it, you run away. But can I tell you, alcohol, alcohol can destroy as well. And it's very addictive. You show me a curious Christian, you show me a curious homeschooled Christian who begins to think that his parents are squares and that the world is right. Listen to me. What is in that bottle can grab a hold of you and change the course of your life for the worse. And I think the message of the hour is not hearing from the one. Listen, as long as you drink in moderation, the message of the hour is this. Wine is a mocker. And it's addictive. They that tarry long. You know, only God knows how many trips I went with my dad to the local beer joint and would actually go in because he was not able and bring it out to the car. Now, that'd be arrested today. We'd all be arrested today for that. But it was an addiction. I had seen my dad in his kind moments. I, I knew that there was goodness in my dad's heart. Please understand, when I'm, you know, some of you are like, there's none good, no, not one. All right, I totally get that, and that's true. So I should say all of you are rotten too, right? You understand what I'm saying? Listen, I'd seen him on his best days, but I'm telling you, there was something that fundamentally changed because of that addiction. Not only does it talk about tarrying long, but then it goes on and it says this. It's very interesting. And they that go to seek mixed wine. And in that, not only do I see the addiction part, but I see the attraction part. Mixed wine. In Bible times, sometimes that wine was mixed with water. Sometimes that wine was mixed with spices to make it more attractive. And you can see the same thing today. All you have to do is walk into a gas station and you can see alcoholic beverages flavored so innocently, seemingly, with all kinds of different things. This is peach. This is cherry. And all it's doing is just disguising that demon in a bottle. Something may deliver you the pleasure of taste for a while and yet destroy your life. 
I want to urge you this morning, make up your mind at this stage of your life that you're not going to be one. You're not going to be one of the people that is deceived by the addiction and the attraction of booze. And I think you can make that decision at this point in your life. Number one, you see the pain. Number two, you see the people. Number three, I want you to see the prohibition. Verse 31, it says, Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and it stingeth like an adder. You know, it's interesting that in this particular prohibition, you find a sense. When I'm talking about a sense, I'm not talking about C-E-N-T-S. I'm talking about S-E-N-S-E. When I'm talking about a sense, uh, there, you know the different senses. Touch, right? Touch is a sense. Smell is a sense. Hearing is a sense. Taste is a sense. And sight is a sense. And the particular sense that's invoked in this prohibition is look not. Now, let me tell you something. The senses are very powerful things. You know how I know that? When you read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, and you read about the strange woman, if you will take all five of the human senses and you read those passages, you'll see that the temptation for immorality is very strongly rooted in what we feel as a whole. When you touch and it feels good. When you smell and it smells wonderful. When you hear those kind words. When you taste the lips of that individual. Or you see someone who is very attractive. Listen to me. Sin is often dressed up in the best of duds. And here, the, here Solomon tells us, look not. You know, I'm convinced that there are a lot of things that people get into. And the truth is, they get into it into their hearts long before they actually do it. And listen to me, it doesn't take the touch of an alcoholic beverage container, I'll tell you, it just takes the sight. Curiosity. And Solomon says, don't you take a long, lingering look. I realize you go through life and, man, all of us see things that we would rather not see. I'm sure the Apostle Paul did that as he went in the marketplace when he was in Athens and he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. I'll assure you, not everybody was worshiping Jesus and not everybody was drinking water. I'm sure there were a lot of things that he saw, but I'm going to tell you as a Christian, I have a responsibility to watch what I look at. And sometimes it's not just a matter of somebody of the opposite gender. Sometimes it's an activity that will lead me to destruction. And, it's a, and it's, an, it's a prohibition like this that strikes at the heart. Don't you look and linger. It appeals to the sense of sight. 
Just how loud does God have to say something before you're going to listen? It's funny, I could talk to some of you and I'd say, some of you are raised in the home of a strict disciplinarian. How many times do they have to say it? You're like, one. Some of you are like, my dad didn't believe in timeouts, count to ten and three strikes and you're out. Our ball game had short innings and there was one at bat. You better hit a home run the first time because if it goes by, you're out. Listen, there is a prohibition that God gives. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. You don't look at the attractiveness of it. It has an attractive appeal. You know, there's some of you in your entertainment that maybe you watch beer commercials and you see those and you say, well, they're so filled with humor. That's by design. They would rather you see the humor of a beer commercial than a family of four killed in a tragic accident. They would rather you see that which is attractive to your eye rather than to see that which is going to break your heart. And so today, God gives you a command, don't look at it. Listen, don't look at that. Don't be allured by it. Turn away from it in your thoughts. Turn away from it in your heart before you ever touch it. But number four, I want you to see the pictures that are given. I... You remember the testimony I gave recently? I was taking a class and I was really challenged about how I read the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, the book of Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, I'm going to tell you, has just jumped off the page. How many of you are in poetical books? Is that offered this semester? In the fall, How many of you took it last semester? All right. I'm sure I'm not going to ask because I don't want to hurt Brother Hanky's feelings. But I'm sure there are some of you that in poetical books you got bogged down in so much of the detail that, that you might have missed some things that were very important that are going to help you in your Bible study. Did, did he say anything at all about parallelism? Mm. Yeah, you're like he said too much about parallelism. <laughs> but let me tell you something, young people. It's easy for you. You get in an environment like this, and boy, if you're not careful, you just treat the Bible old hat. Let me tell you something that's wonderful about the poetical books. They are filled with imagery. You know, there are some of you here, you're like, man, I don't do good with lectures, but I do good with pictures. There are some of you like, I'm going to tell you what, man, you sit there and just read a book. Oh, man, that just drives me nuts. But now you show me pictures. Hey, let me tell you something. The poetical books are filled with pictures. And I love it. And there's some pictures that are drawn in Proverbs 23. You ever heard what a simile and a metaphor? All right. A metaphor. If I said, let's say, let's pick on uh, Julia Haynes for a moment. All right. Uh, Julia, when you see her in the bookstore, smiling, serving you coffee, jovial, happy. But when you see her on a volleyball court, in the thick of a game, it's a little different. And if you heard me say about her while she's playing volleyball and she is out there with blood in her eyes... And she's trying to kill it. And I looked at you and I said, Julia is a beast. 
That doesn't mean she has horns and woolly hair and a rough complexion. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. Right? So, let me tell you a metaphor that the Bible gives. Wine is a mocker. That's direct. That's a direct God-inspired description. Then you have a simile. That's when you use the word like. I want you to notice with me in verse 32. It says, At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. You know, the first picture that's drawn in this passage is that of a snake. There's a man in Lattimore who has made I don't know how much money on a viral video of pulling a black snake out of a man's commode here in Lattimore. Now, if that grosses you out, just be thankful it wasn't from the college bathrooms, all right? This is a gentleman that when I know that there's a wild critter that needs to be gotten rid of, I call him. He's an expert at it. But he has a propensity to do something that I just am not going to do. You know, when there's a snake in the commode, he will stick his hand down there and reach in and grab it and pull it out. I'd just be of the inclination to take a shotgun and destroy the commode and buy a new one. But you know, even though he and I may differ on whether or not we should fear black snakes, we're both unified together that we do not want to be bitten by a poisonous snake. As brave and as discerning he is and as much a fraidy cat as I am, we both come to the same conclusion when it's a copperhead or a rattlesnake, no, I don't want that biting me. And I would like to think this room is filled with sane people who would say, my idea of fun is not being bitten by a snake. But listen to me, the Bible describes the bite of alcohol like a serpent, the stinging of it like an adder. And if you wouldn't wish to experience the pain of a snake bite, why would you wish to experience the pain of alcohol? It's that simple. It's a picture. Can you see it? Not only does he give the picture of a snake, but then he gives the picture of a strange woman. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. It's the idea of being inebriated, getting yourself in a bad circumstance, and here you are with an individual that you really don't know who is a wicked individual, and committing immorality and saying things out of your head. Now, you know, the world the world knows that. You could go to Hollywood stars and they would brag about being in that type of a condition. And all the time they're bragging, they don't realize that the sorrows that they're contributing their lives are there because of that very behavior. And then the third picture is that of the sea. 
In verse 34, Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. I, you know, I just can't help but wonder if it's just the idea of like just drowning. I know some of you are like, I feel overwhelmed at college. Let me tell you something. You grab a hold of a bottle and you begin to drink it and you begin to depend on it. Let me tell you something. It'll cause you to have a drowning sensation and bring some people to the very point that happened to my cousin by marriage when he took his own life. Is that the road you want to go down on? It says, or is he that lieth upon the top of a mast? Picture that one in your mind. Trying to lie down on the top of a... Can you imagine the insecurity? Can you imagine the uncertainty? Can you imagine the fear? Be like me trying to lie down on this ledge here. There's a lot more of me than it. Yeah, there's no way I could get a night of sleep on that ledge. Is that what you want to push your life towards? Do you see the pictures? The pictures of fear, the pictures of pain, the pictures of uncertainty. Listen to me. The alcohol is ushering people that way. But then the last thing I want to show you is the pattern, and that's in verse 35. This is where it's like now the writer of Proverbs talks as if he's the drunken person. This is the drunken person speaking. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. It's the idea of things happening, and it happens to you unaware, and then you wake up, and you're just in such a mess. But notice the end. And when shall I awake? Listen to this. I will seek it yet again. You know, as I finish the message today, I'd like to list my grievances with Christians who advocate for social drinking. Now, this message, I'm going to tell you, it was not intended to be a comprehensive message on alcohol in the Bible. I'm sure as soon as I'm done, I can be plastered. What about this? What about that? Listen, if I preached a comprehensive message on alcohol, I just need to preach a series for a week and still probably not be done. And I realize that there's a lot of other passages that can be discussed, but today I want to conclude by telling my brethren there's a few things that you need to think about as you become an advocate and a crusader for social social drinking. Number one is this, the one wine view cannot be sustained either grammatically or historically. You'll read some people and they'll tell you that every mention of wine in the Bible is alcoholic beverage. And they refuse to acknowledge that there's times where context very clearly shows the difference. And for those that say, well, that when the Bible says wine, that means alcoholic beverage, uh, period. You know, I'm going to tell you something. It's not sometimes the uneducated ignorant that make their arguments with, uh, um, with dogmatism. Sometimes the scholastic makes his arguments with dogmatism. And there's no substance there. In a one-wine view, you can't substantiate that grammatically or historically. There were times in the Old Testament 
in Old Testament times apart from Bible narratives where it was recorded that wine could be preserved and not, not be alcoholic. Number two, I would say to my friends that advocate social drinking, they ignore the highly addictive nature of alcohol. And I know sometimes they say, well, the Bible condemns gluttony, it condemns drunkenness. Yes, it does. But can I tell you something? While, yes, there are people that can be addicted to food and they make live shows where they go to 600, 700, 800 pounds. Yes, I get it. Today they put reality shows out about everything. But I'm going to tell you something. You could do a lot more in advocating the destructiveness of alcohol. There's a lot more evidence of it out there. I mean, I'm not saying that gluttony is is not a sin. And somebody may look at me and say, you know what, you're a little overweight. Well, I'm glad you're judging me. I hope that you had less calories than I did, all right? But I'm going to tell you something. What's happening with alcohol, it's highly addictive, and you don't hear people talk about that. Number three, Christians who support meaning or support social drinking, they have no meaningful consideration of 1 Corinthians 8 and the weaker brother when supporting their social drinking crusade. Now, brother, let me tell you, Paul said when it came to offending a brother or being a stumbling block, he said, I would not eat meat. That's a big thing. I'm a carnivore. Some of you are like, I'm on that carnivore diet. Well, I'll tell you, Paul said, listen, if it came to violating the conscience of a brother or being a stumbling block to him, I wouldn't touch it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not saying everybody, but there's a lot of people in the social drinking realm. I'm going to tell you, you know what their meat is? Their meat is wine. You think about in an average congregation, I'm going to tell you what, there are people who have been tripped up by booze. Why be a stumbling block? Another reason is that they fail to emphasize the overwhelmingly negative warnings about alcohol. When you read, you know, oh, what about this? Okay, what about that? Those, some of those passages can be explained at another time. But what, what about this? What about that? And I say, what about this? You have to address it. Another objection I take to, to brethren who advocate for social drinking is they cannot give a definitive definition of drunkenness. I can give you a legal definition, 0.08 or 0.10. The inevitable question is, how much does it take to get there? Nobody nobody can give you an answer. And the last thing that I would tell them is this, that the alcoholic beverage of today would be considered the strong drink of Bible times given the intense fermentation process that's used today in the alcohol industry. Back in those days, they let nature do her work. Here they ramp it up. I remember one day when I was a kid, my dad took me out. He said, dad, he said go out there and, and grab muscadines. I love muscadines. When they're available at the farmer's market, I'll have my daughter who works there some. 
grab me some. I enjoy muscadines. And I would go out there in the woods and I would pick those little wild grapes. I'd bring them home and I would take those thick husks and squeeze that stuff out and spit the seeds out and work at it and eat it. I loved it. Well, my dad sent me out on a mission one day, but his mission was not to eat muscadines. His mission was for me to bring back a pile so that he could mash them down, boil them, and use yeast and sugar to make something he shouldn't have. But it was just like a very vivid illustration to me as a kid of what happens in the commercial beverage industry. Social drinkers who say they're Christians will drink a beverage that is so loaded with alcohol that comparatively speaking to whatever was offered as a fermented product in the Old Testament, there's no comparison on many occasions. And to me that's irresponsible and it takes it out of historical context and it's just something to use to justify a behavior that's destructive. Listen to me, beverage alcohol will not mock you and destroy you if you never touch it. And if you haven't ever made that decision in your life, I hope you'll resolve to make it. Because when you leave this place, listen to me, you're not only going to be tempted by the beer commercials and probably already are, But it's sad to say sometimes you'll be tempted by the brethren. You know, there was a song that I've sung on numerous occasions called The Great Judgment Morning. Brother Scoville introduced me to that song. Here it says copyrighted in 57, but I think it was probably written a good bit before that. But verse 3 had some very powerful imagery that I think a lot of the world today would consider offensive. When talking about appearing at the great judgment morning, I'm talking about where lost mankind stands before God and they're cast into eternity. Listen to what the songwriter said. Talking about that great day, these people standing before God, he said, the gambler was there and the drunkard and the man that sold them the drink with the people who gave him the license. Together in hell they did sink. Now I'll admit that imagery to some, they may say, I think that's a little over the top. But if you're here today and you're listening to me and you believe that's over the top, let me tell you something else that's over the top, and that's having a permissive attitude about alcohol. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And the Bible tells us that he or whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Let's bow our heads together. Just a moment, I'd like for our pianist to play Yield Not to Temptation for Yielding is Sin. And we'll sing maybe a verse of that. Young people, I've preached this message for two reasons. One to help you now and one to help you later. I want to help you now because, listen, it's a very real temptation. 
And people who are greater than you have fallen to it. And the question is, are you going to find in your heart what's right and resolve to do it? And this morning, I hope, if you never have ever come to that point where you've seen it like you've seen it today, I hope that today you'll just say, Lord, Lord, that's not going to be a stronghold. Lord, I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want to look at it. There may be some of you, maybe you entertain thoughts about things like that, and today you've seen the danger of looking at it. I don't take it for granted that in Bible college that you have a strong view on something like this. Would you resolve in your heart? Say, Lord, that's, that's not for me. Or if you're here, And it's been a struggle for you. Listen to me. There's some understanding men that are on this faculty. There's some ladies that could help you if it's a struggle. And for those of you here, maybe your lives have been touched by alcohol. You've seen it during your lifetime. Listen to me. You resolve your life to live in a way that avoids that stuff. God's given you a big object lesson. Just run away from it. Thank the Lord He's made it vivid for you and don't ever touch it. But may the Lord help us today to beware of the devil of beverage alcohol. Father, Lord, I ask you today that you'd help this moment to help our students now and to help them in the years to come. One, I pray that it would help them now to beware of the temptations of the the evil one. And Lord, I also know that when they leave this place, they're going to be subjected to, I think, some people who are well-meaning and earnest, but misguided. Lord, I pray that if anything, that they would see the Word of God, they'd see the vividness of it, the pictures of it, the principles of it. And that, Father, you'd keep them away from this thing that has set back so many people even some brothers and sisters. We ask these things in Jesus' name.